Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, welcome back to Foreplay Radio. The last couple of weeks, we've been immersing ourselves in the world of a pursuer and withdrawer. And today, we're going to get a little bit more specific and we're going to try to understand the world of a sexual withdrawer. Hey, you're listening to Foreplay Radio for couples and sex therapy with your host, myself, Lori Watson, sex therapist, and George Fowler, expert couples therapist. George and I are counselors, educators, authors, researchers, contributors, and leaders in our field with a collective 50 years of experience working with couples and sex therapy. We're grounded in the best and most scientific research from attachment theory with our emphasis on emotionally focused therapy. Using all we've learned from our clients, our work, and our own lives, we want to have this open, frank, and informative conversation about love and sex to help you and your partner keep it hot. So I know Lori has lots of experience in this area. So floor is yours. Lori, what do you think? What makes for a sexual withdrawal? Well, it always sounds the same in the beginning. Frequently they call in and they say, you know, I just, I could care less if I ever have sex again. Mm. And it, it sounds so hopeless in the beginning, right? Like what do we do with a person who is married, who has pledged fidelity, but they don't care about it anymore. And so that's that's kind of the trick. I think in the beginning, I too was stumped. Now I think, good, we can start there. Okay. Because I, I, I really believe, first of all, sex feels good. It's And libido is a life force. So it's something that I know happens inside them, but for whatever reason, in a sexual withdrawal, it's been obscured in some way. And for maybe many reasons, Sex, for us, it's, it's really the adult version of that childhood need for affection. Our need for connection physically gets eroticized at adolescence. Mm -hmm. And so as an adult, that's how we often think about getting our affectionate needs met. I mean, right. certainly touch is very important. Kissing hello and goodbye, cuddling, all that is important. But for most of us, when we are in a romantic relationship, especially in the beginning, I mean, we, we are drawn to sex 
as that way to connect. And so when somebody says to me, oh, I don't care about it, I know that something has gone wrong. Most of the time, they have cared about it right. at some point in their life. Sometimes maybe they come in and they say, you know, I married this person and I never really was attracted to them and I, I don't know why I married them. And I sort of think, why did you marry them? Which <laughs> sounds really familiar just in that general category of which ours that the strategy is to avoid the difficult conversation, what it feels like, kind of upsetting your partner, upsetting yourself, that this 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 strategy that's adaptive at certain points, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel and have uh, I don't I'm gonna have no success with those feelings. So let me just stop doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the avoidance that's at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And I think that Desire is vulnerability. Mm. And so to have desire leaves us always vulnerable, always wanting. And so it's it's really something that we do to protect ourselves, mostly for women, because of their their body and their hormone levels, they can turn off desire. Right. And and they're not doing it consciously. I think their partners think you're doing it consciously. And for men, what I observe is oftentimes they just dilute that. They use porn. They have more partner-specific lack of desire. Right. You know, they, they don't want to put themselves out to their partner for a million reasons. I just want to highlight what you're saying. I think it's very wise that if I don't want to do vulnerability, then turning off desire is a great way of doing that. Absolutely. Right. If I'm not going to have success with this vulnerability, if I'm not going to like how it feels or how it feels with my partner, then turning off desire turns off that that opportunity to kind of have that reinforce those fears. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some of them, I think, particularly women, are unclear as to when they turned off and why they turned off. That that's why, for me, the good news is I can always figure it out. Mm. I can always figure out why and when. You got an example of that? Yeah. So I think about Sarah. And Sarah, she's like 42 years old. She had three kids. And she came in. She was an extroverted person. She was probably the emotional pursuer in Mm -hmm. my world of her partner. She wanted more emotional closeness. She didn't want sex ever. She had said, you know, I could care less about it. I just don't have any time. So I looked over and I said, you know, hey, Sarah, do you exercise? Because this woman was fit. I mean, super fit. Right. And she's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I I exercise. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, you know, I do aerobics three days a week. I have a trainer that I train with twice a week. I lift weights. Uh, And her husband kind of chimes in and says, you've got your tennis uh, clinic twice a week. So she had training in tennis twice a week. And we added it up. And she had 11 hours of fitness every week. And her kids were in school. And I said, what is, what is your life like in terms of like, how unhappy does this conflict make you? And she said, you know, we have a great life. We have enough money. We have great kids. I love my husband. He's a great guy. And this conflict of my husband always wanting sex, and he said, just for the record, I don't always want sex. I, I would be happy with sex once a week. But she says, you know, my husband always wanting sex makes our marriage like, I don't know, six out of a 10. And I said, okay, so 
So I know her her first presentation, right, of I don't have enough time, I'm thinking, okay, let's take one of those 11 hours, one quickie, one longie, you know, <laughs> quickie on Wednesday and a long time on Saturday night, and you just went from a six in a marriage to a 10. It's not about time. It's never about time because I, I know it's never about time because couples get into my office once a week. You know, if they were just having sex that one time a week, they'd be good. Sometimes I tell them that. Just take the money. Go to a hotel. I'm at least that expensive. Go and have sex and you don't need to come see me. But they don't. You're going to put so. yourself out of business. <laughs> that, that would be okay. That would be okay. I got a lot of work. So I go through a triage Usually in my assessment is probably what EFT people would call it. And and I'm just checking in to ask a few questions that are curious. I, I don't necessarily ask the questions in a routine way because it's such a sensitive subject that I'm just kind of listening. And usually I fill in the blanks as they go. And sometimes then there might be one or two parts that are missing for me before I can figure out what's really happening. Mm-hmm. But for a sexual withdrawer, let's say female with Sarah, I, I do something called, oh, please. And so I start with, oh, I want to know if she has orgasms. And so I'll probably ask directly, well, you know, is it good for you? Do, you? do you have orgasms? And she said, yes. Okay, so it's good for her. At least she's orgasming. And crazily enough, I think this is difficult for a lot of men listening to understand. It's like, if she's having an orgasm, why does she want to do it? What is the deal? Like, why not? But for some women, that's not enough to give her a sense of desire for the next time. Okay. So then P is for pain. And I check out and I say, okay, you know, is there any kind of pain? And this is something that is probably not well known to many couples therapists, but I think it's like 28% of women experience sexual pain during the sexual experience. So it could be pain on intercourse, but there's a lot of weird different pain issues that are out there. And I listen for that. Most women will volunteer that. A menopausal woman might say, you know, it's just not as good. It hurts a little, blah, blah, blah. Then I check out libido. So libido, we've talked about it being life energy, but it's also the way she has any kind of subjective thoughts about sex. So in my mind, the only thing I'm looking for is I ask her, how many times a month do you think about sex in a positive direction? And if it were a man, I might be asking how many times a day, but for a woman, I'm asking how many times a month. And the answer that I know is a big win for me is twice. Because if she has positive sexual thoughts, and the way a woman has a positive sexual thought can be really different than the way a man does. So she may say, you know, I I never think about sex. And I'll ask her, do you ever see a man who has great hair? Yeah, yeah, I notice that. Okay, do you ever... See a man has a great ass. Yeah, I, I might see that. You know, or something that is a trigger. I said, are you ever in line in the grocery store and there's the Cosmo? Oh, I hate those magazines. They're always talking about sex. I know. And that's a negative reminder, but it's something that she's still noticing. So in some way, she is touched in her world by a sexual prompt And whether she chooses to turn toward it in a positive way that it enlivens her Mm -hmm. or not is different. But if she tells me twice a month I have a positive sex, this is easy peasy Mm. to get the couple back on track. 
Great. Yeah. I was working with a couple. It just it made me think of Sarah, what you're talking about, where the the wife was the sexual distancer. Mm-hmm. So she didn't want to have sex, and yet she she loved reading erotic novels. And I found an interesting statistic about the billions of dollars that Absolutely. women are spending on these right. erotic novels, right. which I think most men don't recognize. Right. But what's happening in these erotic novels is this 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 passion, this high levels of engagement, this this you know, it's just it's it's so fulfilling and meaningful and it's 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 meeting so many different levels and then i had the wife and husband say all right write me a story if if i was looking at you your love life what would it look like if this was an erotic <laughs> novel you know basically she's not in a mood yeah she wants him to be kind of more confident well, he's been shot down so many times, he has no confidence. So what does their erotic novel look like? He like reaches over with his passive hand that basically says, Shakes I'm interested, right? <laughs> Gives a little wiggle shake, hoping that turns her on. She kind of rolls over and it's got a headache, right? Which makes him feel, again, like he's a totally rejected loser. He's got no confidence and she has, she's not turned on. I was like, I don't think that story would turn anyone on. If you were reading an erotic novel, you'd want your money back if that was the story that you were reading. Yeah. Right? So how do you help Sarah or these different couples kind of change their story? So I think what is so exciting in erotic novels is really anticipation. Mm -hmm. And I often say women are more responsive to Christmas Eve than they are to Christmas morning. Christmas Eve is the pageantry the lights, the anticipation, the candles, the meal. It's the the waiting and it's desire, right? Mm. It's the wanting. And that is like, that's it. That's the huge turn on. Christmas morning is exciting. You're unwrapping the gifts. You're, you're getting it. But I mean, truly for many women, it's that Christmas Eve moment. And I think that's what the erotic novels do really well. There's 135 pages about the buildup and about the increase of want. And I think that, of course, that happens in dating, right? I mean, there's a lot of anticipation in dating. She wakes up and she says, I'm going to shave my legs for tonight, and I'm going to get ready. She puts on something pretty underneath, and she goes to school or she goes to work, and she starts thinking about that evening. Where is he going to take me? What are we going to do? You know, at noon, she goes out and gets her nails done, thinking about him. And then in the mid-afternoon, she's bored with what she's doing because all she can think about is that time together. And she tunes her mind toward that moment. And when she gets to dinner, where they have six hours, of course, together, like all of us have six hours to go out with our partner, they have cocktails They have dinner, and by the time he touches her, she's wet because she is so turned on. She's used her mind to build to that point. I often tell women, you can have that experience again if you've got eight hours. Some of it, when we were talking last night, George, I said to you, you can tell when a person has libido. There's like a life force. So if the woman, and this was not Sarah, she had a lot of vibrancy and vitality, but some women maybe come in and 
She's more depressed, slumped over. There's something about her that doesn't give you this, doesn't scream life. You felt Sarah had that? Oh, yeah. Libido, so. I did. Okay. I did. And then I checked for E, which is, oh, please, emotional connection. And she told me, you know, we are totally connected. Okay. We have good stuff, except that we have this recurring fight all the time about sex. Right. He, he wants sex so much. Not so much. Then I go through A, which is I'm checking for many things. I check a lot about the body. So I want to check, is she on a medication? What's the A stand for? Is affective for me. I'm checking to see, is she on any medication? Does she have any disease state? Is there something that's going on? I, I also shove into that body image because it's this is kind of my body category that I'm checking for. And probably next to resentment, Women with their body image problems is a huge shutdown. And then I want to check into S, which is, is it sex worth having? Are what they doing in bed something that she enjoys, that she finds sexy? And I have had umpteen women who come in and say, ah, I don't care about it. And the reason is, is because they've whispered to their partner about what they really do like. And he hasn't picked up on it. He hasn't heard it. Or he's forgotten about it in the throes of passion. You know, he doesn't do the thing that she likes. And so she says, you know, he he doesn't want to do that. She tells herself all kinds of things about that. And then I actually switched the E on O, please, to be an F, which is frequency. So I know that if a couple comes in and says, yeah, you know, sex is good, and, and maybe we're chit-chatting a little bit. And I say, well, you know, how, how often are you guys intimate? Are you in bed together? And they say, oh, once a quarter. I know that there's something that's not right. That's sexlessness in my mind. And so I I listen to that. But really what we're going to talk about when we come back is how to help women, how to help their partners with this. we got to get back to Sarah. we got to get back to Sarah and how we help Sarah. Speaking with certified sex therapist Lori Watson from Awakening Center for Couples and Intimacy. Lori, what is an intensive? So an intensive is 12 to 14 hours of therapy all in one weekend. And it's a way to really make fast progress compared to weekly therapy. I mean, there's just so much more you can get done when you have a chunk of time. Overcome the challenges in your relationship and your sex life. Learn more about intensives and Awakening Center's other services at awakenloveandsex.com. Hey, I want to let you guys know all about George. He's written and contributed to several books, and I'd especially like to draw your attention to his book, Sacred Stress, a radically different approach to using life's challenges for positive change. His book is about a mission on how you adopt new strategies and turn stresses into a positive force in your life. And who among us doesn't live with a lot of stress these days? We'll keep you posted as to all he's doing. But George and other EFT therapists all around the country and the world hold couples retreats called Hold Me Tight, which is developed by Sue Johnson, and it helps secure your own relationship. If you'd like therapy with George, find him at georgefowler.com. So Sarah had orgasms. She was a beautiful woman. Her husband desired her, and that's a really big turn on for a lot of women he definitely desired her, and she was she was gorgeous. But she had turned this off. So in part, her early life was that 
To be a mother, of course, is to be all giving and to turn over her libidinous energy to her children. And she didn't understand that she could do both, that she could have enough for herself and her husband and for the children. And it turns out Sarah had had some difficulties in childhood that we had to work through. So in part, it was between the two of them, and in part, it was inside of her. And I, as a sex therapist, I think about several different things. I, I think about the body. I think about their history, the messages that they learned about sex. And I think about what they're doing wrong with each other or, or what the negative cycle is. So one of the things that her husband did was similar to what your guy did. He would approach in kind of an anxious way at this point. Mm-hmm. And he needed to to talk to her in vulnerability, to say, you know, to me, I, I don't get connected to you unless it's sex. Because the only thing she could hear was, all you want me for is sex, which is very different. I knew it was very different than what he was saying. I mean, what he was saying is, this is this is home to me when I'm with you sexually. This is where I feel so deeply connected. So there was a lot of working with him about how to say it. Pause that a yeah. second, because again, I just want to highlight: he might not be capable of being the confident lover who can just take charge and rip her clothes off, given all the rejections. All he can do is be authentic with where he's at, right? So if he just comes towards her in an anxious way, that's a big turnoff, right? That's that's both of them seeing a negative pattern. He has good reasons not to have confidence, given a rejection. She has good reasons yes. not to be turned on by that, right? They're set up to fail. Yeah. But if he can start talking about his vulnerability in that, mm-hmm. that he wants to be this guy who he truly is, that there's just a block that's developed because of their relationship style, mm-hmm. right? There's something about his vulnerability that she starts to see more than just a pathetic guy who's reaching over, mm-hmm. right? She starts to see this real guy who's struggling. There's a lot of courage to have that conversation. I think that's the opportunity we're trying to get here, that heading towards the sexual blocks of dysfunction is where we really can find such great connection. Absolutely, and I, I think that's what, is so frustrating for the person who's trying to pursue sexually. They often say, you know, I I did do all that, Lori. Yep. I, I was that guy. I was romantic. I wooed her. I was confident. And now we're in shutdown, and I don't know how to get it back. I, mm-hmm. You know, I can't be this romantic guy in the novels that she's reading. You know, he's discouraged and doesn't know how to do it. Always a job for sex therapists. Right. But so for Sarah, partly we had to work through kind of this this idea of how she could come back into herself. She was able to do it with exercise. She mm-hmm. owned her body there, but she couldn't own her own libido. She couldn't own sexual desire. And I think as we've just on the side talked a little bit about, this was so vulnerable for her to be able to say and want him to touch her in ways that were attuned and brought her pleasure. And I mean, even though she reached orgasm easily, it was different than what she wanted. She wanted this experience with him that she couldn't somehow or another talk enough about to get through to him. So that was like a lesson for her to begin to put language to the way she liked to be touched. And it wasn't just, it's not that specific. 
I mean, I think for, for many sexual withdrawers, it's more than that. It's a feeling that they want to have. That's what they're going for. It's, it's, it's not just orgasm. It's really this other kind of feeling that is so important to them that when you reduce it just to orgasm, it's too simple. So I guess my question for you would be, and I totally agree that if you can get Sarah to be curious and open to explore herself, then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do when that sexual withdrawer doesn't want to do the exploration? They're not willing to look at their blocks. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the exact same thing you just said about emotional withdrawers. I mean, who wants to do that? It's so painful. Whatever it is they're going to look at is difficult. And so, in essence, I'm very patient. And somehow or another, by listening carefully, you begin to see what the block might be mm-hmm. and where it lies, and then you, you kind of chip away at it. And I, I think this is discouraging, probably, potentially, to the sexual pursuer listening. It's like, but I tried every which way. I'm open. I keep asking them, how do they like it? What do they like? I'd do anything. I'd hang the moon for them. And, and they can't get through. And so this is... I think the work of the sexual withdrawal, but it, the work has to be done in a place that they're held because there's no way they want to do this work by themselves. I think about the sexual withdrawal, like we do a lot of work with sexual pain problems. And do you know what vaginismus is? Mm-hmm. It's a condition where a woman cannot be penetrated and for our listeners. And without a counterbalance of a partner saying, I need this from you, she is unable to face that. And so sometimes she'll say to me, you know, my husband's so great. He would never pressure me. He would never make it difficult for me. And part of me just goes, rats, <laughs> you know, because I need him to be the counterbalance. Right. You know, I can't supply that as a therapist that says you've got to look at it. I mean, this is a system. And so we need both of them together to think about this. And for the love of him, she might face the dragon. I mean, mm-hmm. because behind oftentimes our sexual withdrawing is it isn't necessarily trauma. It isn't necessarily being molested. But there are pieces of vulnerability that are so exquisite because they're in the body. I mean, George, you talk about emotions are in the body, but sex is in the body. Absolutely. And and so to face that, we have to be willing to, to go toward what is uber painful to mm-hmm. us. I mean, we think about the child who wasn't held enough. A lot of people say, my partner doesn't even like affection. Not only do they not like sex, but they don't like affection either. And I know that they're essentially anorexic. Their desire and need for touch is so primitive, but they have turned it off. And when you turn that off, there is something behind that that we have to get to. It's a great example, being anorexic. And I mean, I'm imagining myself as a partner married to somebody who, because of good reasons, they can't take the food I'm giving. Yeah. And then I take it so personal 
right? So what you're saying is really honor that block. How do you help the partner to a sexual withdrawal get curious about who is my partner and what are the good reasons why they're blocked? They're not doing it to hurt me or reject me. They just don't know themselves in these places. And how do I open up my heart and empathy to get curious about that? Who has really ever done that for the withdrawal? So if I grew up in a family where touch wasn't okay and I have body image problems, you know, I don't know how to take in food in those areas, mm-hmm. right? So I just need that that missing ingredient provided to me, mm-hmm. which is somebody else's safe, secure kind of. And it's I think it's so hard for the partner to be able to do that because they they take it personal. Mm-hmm. So I love what you're saying, which is really trying to keep the partner's eyes focused on that sexual withdrawal mm-hmm. and saying, you know what, I want to be there to help you with these blocks. Yep, okay. exactly. Okay, thanks for listening to 4Play Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. Hi, 4Play fam. The biggest support you can give us is sharing our podcast with a friend. You can find us also on socials, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we'd love your questions and feedback and really do use these to guide our show. We'd also love it if you'd rate and review us. If you're interested in learning more about us and our mission, look us up on our hot new website, 4PlayRadioSexTherapy.com. Call in your questions to the 4Play Question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-THE-NUMBER-4-PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.